0: So uh, very excited about uh, the series that we're starting and uh, it is called The Hero's Journey. It is a series uh, through the life of Gideon and uh, we're gonna see, as we always do, Jesus show up in the middle of it because we are a Jesus church. I'm a big fan. Uh, He changed my life and uh, we we preach Jesus in this church, but uh, how many know that he's seen throughout the whole Bible? And Gideon is a really cool story that we pick up in the book of Judges. And so uh, it's actually one of the places we were able to visit recently when we went to Israel, uh, the stream where uh, he and his army kind of went to drink. And so we'll, we'll unpack that uh, story over the coming weeks, the four-week series. But we're going to dive in starting in Judges chapter 6. Uh, if you want to follow along uh, on the screen or your tablet, or if you're old school and you actually have a regular Bible. I see Ed on the front row. I mean, teacher's teacher's pet. Whoa, look at you, Marilyn. Judges chapter six and verse one. It says this. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, Marauders would from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land, destroying the crops as far as away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. They stayed until. The land was stripped bare. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Uh, As I said, uh, this 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 series really is about the life of Gideon, uh, because Gideon is a hero that God raises up. But in the middle of this raising up Gideon, we see a transformation happen in Gideon's life, and that's what I love about this story: is that Gideon starts out as somebody, and we see him beginning to transition into somebody else. And over the course of this four weeks, we're going to be looking at this incredible story, but we're going to see it through the lens of a transformation in a simple man, Uh, because I believe that we're going to see a similar invitation that God gives us to transform into something that he is calling us, not just to do, but to be. And I wrote this uh, God is more interested in who you are becoming than where you are going. And I know that as westernized people, it's very difficult to truly embody that as a person because we are all about progress. We are all about where do I see myself, how many people, have you asked yourself that or asked your spouse that or a friend? Like, where do you see yourself in five years? Where are you going? What are you doing with your life? What do you do, right? And you answer the question with, well, these are are the accomplishments and this is where I did before and this is where I'm going. But reality is God is way more concerned with who you're becoming. And so we see this in the life of Gideon. See, religion is about what you can do for God. We just let that settle for a minute. Religion is about what you can do for him. What are you going to do for him? How are you going to behave? And how are you going to change? Because the big man, he demands respect. He's holy. You should be holy. And so you really need to do more to please him. And you can even find scriptures to back up that premise. Like, really, you're going to have to be better because he deserves more. And we sung it You're worthy. He is worthy, but religion comes at it from the angle of because he's worthy, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do for him? But I love Jesus. As I said, I'm a big fan. He came and he blew that whole thing up. And he said, it's not about what you're gonna do for me. It's about what I am doing in you. It's an invitation to his goodness because he's so good, because he's holy, and because he paved the way with his son on the cross for you to have an invitation to say yes to what he wants to do in you. This is a good sermon already. The title of my message is Breaking the Pattern. Breaking the Pattern. For seven years, they were in a destructive pattern and the enemy was having a heyday in their life, robbing them of their future. I don't know if you can relate with a pattern. It's just, I gotta turn to your neighbor and say, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta break this pattern. I gotta, I gotta break this pattern. This is destructive. I Sometimes it's just a bad habit, right? It's like, honey, the toilet paper goes this way, not this way. Come on, the toilet seat, come on, it's... Not complicated, but it's a pattern. It's a habit. I got I to gotta break this pattern. It, see, Israelites, they were in this pattern for seven years. And because of that, they were getting robbed. And I love the picture. Like, as many as locusts were coming in and they were stripping their crops bare. They would plant something. They would try to do something good for their future and good for their family and good for their life. But at the end of the day, there was nothing to show for it because the enemy was robbing them of their future and they were stuck in this, this pattern. And I know we can all relate. I, I um, Early on in our marriage, I was stuck in a pattern. Uh, if you know me, I'm, I'm the spender in the relationship. Every relationship, we just did marriage married counseling recently, you know, we're asking the question, okay, who's the spender, who's the saver? Because typically in a relationship that you have one or the other. And if you are both spenders, I'll pray for you. If you're both savers, then we're gonna ask you to come over and counsel us because that's a win. How many, how many in the room, being honest, married couples, both of you are savers. There's no spenders in the group. One couple, two couples. That's pretty rare. Way to go! <laughs> so I'm I'm the spender, and 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 you know, growing up, I I like I like nice things, but I really kind of got got connected with having nice clothes, and it, it became something important to me. So early on in our marriage, this was when I was like 26, 27, 28. Um, I would I would have a habit, a pattern of, you know, at the first of the month when we have some money in the paycheck, right? And I was doing the budget at the time, which was the first, you know, fail. Uh, when, the, when, the, when the spender does the, does the budget, anyway, this is a little tidbit of advice. Okay. So, so I, I would, you know, as soon as the check comes in, I, I'd go to the mall see if I can. And I wouldn't like shop around for the deals, right? Because in my view, like if it's on sale, there's a reason it's on sale, because no one wanted it, right? So you go for the stuff that's, you know, front and center as you walk in, it's on display, it's got the lights on it, and of course it's full price, because you get what you pay for. Anybody with me? You're like, no, Shane, you are digging yourself into a hole. So anyways, this was me early on in our marriage, And, you know, Heather is, you know, nodding her head. Like, I spent a lot of money on clothes. Now, I justified it because we were youth pastors. So I'm like, babe, I got to, like, stay cool for the kids, you know. So I would, like, have cool clothes. Now, the kids were probably like, dude, you're trying way hard, too hard. But, I mean, I was only 27, so I was still kind of young, and I liked name brand stuff. So anyways... I remember this one time I was going to the mall, first of the month, and I remember thinking like, I'm going to regret this because I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to hear about it when I go home because Heather's like, really? Like you spent another, I mean, it would be easy for me to spend like 120, 150 bucks on a trip to the mall, right? It's like you buy a pair of jeans and a couple of shirts and you're there if you shop like I do. So, and, and we were youth pastors, we didn't have the money, money for this, <laughs> swipe, you know, Bad pattern. So anyways, this one time I went to the mall, and I've told this story um, before, but in a different context. I didn't actually share the whole context because I was embarrassed, but I, I'm being transparent. So anyway, i go going to the mall because I was in a pattern. I was in a pattern of buying clothes. I like to spend my money. Heather likes to save it, and we have much more money now in our savings, and we're way less in debt now because I don't do this, and primarily because Heather does the books. Um, but... So I'm going to the mall and we had a place called The Buckle. And The Buckle, I haven't seen it really around here, but at the time we lived in Texas and The Buckle was kind of a big place for people in their, you know, middle 30s, middle 20s to buy particularly jeans and name brand clothes. So I loved The Buckle because The Buckle had what I liked. It was super expensive, but I liked going there because I just felt good. Anybody with me? I just felt good when I got a nice pair of a nice outfit. So I went and I was trying on jeans and uh, I I grabbed a bunch. And if you've ever done this, like I went into the dressing room, right? And I had a couple of different jeans I was trying on and, you know, none of which really were fitting me. And I'm pretty particular on my clothes. And so I'm like, nah, not really fitting. So anyways, I would hang them on the door when I was done. I was like, oh no, I'm not going to wear that one. So I'd try another one on now. And um, as soon as I would hang them on the door, the gentleman who was helping me, because it's like like a full service kind of a place, right? They're paying a lot of money. They want you to buy stuff. So he's taking the clothes. I'm hanging them. So he went, no, I'm not going to do those. So I I just was like a little frustrated. I'm not going to buy anything. I scoop up the clothes off the ground. I hang them on the door. And boom, they go away. And I look around and I'm like, oh boy. (laughs) I seem to have uh, made a, made a huge mistake. I, I, I took the, the pair of pants I was wearing into the store and I put those on the, on the door as well. So I'm looking around and there's nothing there. So I got my t-shirt and my skivvies and no pants, no jeans. And so I, I was like, lock up to the door like, hello? You still out there? <laughs> no answer. So I You know, like the door has like an opening underneath it. So I'm like wedging myself under the door, looking around to see if there's anybody there. If the gentleman was there who took my pants, not there, he's moved on. So I noticed there's a table like this close by and it's got like a bunch of clothes on it. I'm like, I bet you I could reach under and grab something, put it on temporarily, and then go find the clothes that I was brought in with. So I did that. I went under the door and I'm like blindly reaching around. I grab something, pull it under. I'm like perfect as a pair of pants. And as I start to pull it on, I realize that it's like a size six women's jean with like the bling on the butt. So I'm like putting, the, I'm like Skinny jeans, right? Pulling them on. I couldn't get them buttoned, but I like put my shirt over them, right? And I walked out, find the dude. Hey, where'd you put my jeans? Oh man, sorry. Grabbed them. And let's just say I haven't been back to buckle since. God broke the pattern. Come on, people. (laughs) What's your pattern? Where are you Maybe just a little bit stuck. And, and religion and even self-help books would say, you know, just like make a good New Year's resolution and be better. And to be honest with you, I'm not saying that that's all bad. I mean, let's make some New Year's resolutions and let's try to be a little more disciplined and let's make some good choices like this. That's not bad. But it's not transformative. See, it's okay for us to want to change some things on the outside to improve ourselves. There's something wrong with that. But it's when we don't look deeper. This church is called Heart Church for a reason because I believe that the the only true transformation comes here. That our behavior is a byproduct of our inner transformation. Who we are which is why God is way more concerned about who you're becoming than where you're going because where you're going is a byproduct of who you are. So if I become who God's called me to be, then the trajectory of my life and the people that I get to affect will be forever different. And so we see this in the life of Gideon as they're stuck in a pattern. And I want to read Romans chapter 12, verse two, because I think it paints a great picture of this idea. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing will. So notice working backwards, how do we find the will of God? Well, we begin to renew our mind and have a different perspective. And and so therefore the patterns of our life will be different and we will experience transformation. And so this is what God is calling us to. And so let's take a look what happens in the story in Judges chapter 6 verse 11. We are introduced to a guy named Gideon. And it says this, the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of, I like to say, Oprah. Uh, Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So this gives you a picture of who Gideon is. And this is why they share it. Because who Gideon is, is somebody who is Hiding so threshing wheat would be something that they would be doing from an elevated place. Why? Because they'd throw, they'd beat the wheat and throw it up, and the wind would take the chaff away, and everything else good would stay. And so it needed to have wind, and it needed to be a little bit of an elevated, elevated, uh, elevated place. But unfortunately, Gideon wasn't at on a threshing floor. It says interestingly that he was in, in a wine press. If you're near a wine press, you'll know that a wine press is down low and it's a place where you walk around and crush the grapes. And so Gideon was literally, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Why? He was hiding. He's like, I don't, I'm a nobody I am scared. I am fearful. I don't want to be seen. I certainly don't want to lead anything. And so the angel of the Lord finds Gideon hiding. I love that this is where a hero's journey begins. In hiding. Can I tell you that some of the most beautiful oil comes from the place of crushing, the place of brokenness. You remember when the woman came to Jesus and she said, I want to anoint, anoint you before burial. And it was a place of brokenness because she was not only come to, coming to him broken, but she was anointing him for a place of brokenness. And in that place, she broke the, the, the expensive flask over him. And the Bible says that the, that, that the room was filled with a fragrance. It's a place of brokenness. And yet some of the most beautiful things come from that place. How many of you experienced places where God brought you through something and it was a a low place, maybe even a place of hiding, but in the midst of that, God is forging something. So I want to say to you, don't run from those places. Just acknowledge when God is showing up in your life So I wanna talk about three simple things. First thing is this, God has a new narrative for your life. God has a new narrative for your life, whether you're hiding or you're on the top of a mountain. In order for the transformation to happen, God has a new narrative for your life. And maybe it's a slight shift. Maybe it's just a course correction slightly, or maybe it's a gigantic overhaul of your identity. No matter where you are, the transformation always starts with God's narrative. For your life and we see it as uh we break the pattern Oh, i wanted to mention this narrative i thought this was interesting a spoken or written account the story of a historical description of one's life or connected events and i want to focus on that a spoken or written account this is the definition of a narrative a spoken or written account what's been spoken over your life what have you spoken over your life. What in your mind is already written in stone about your life? Now that's that's done. I did that. That happened to me. This is my life. And so it's spoken and it's written. That's that's the narrative. And I believe God is saying, no, I, I actually have the final word in your narrative. And so... The angel of the Lord, verse 12, says this. Angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And this is kind of the, cliff. you know about Gideon, this is kind of the classic thing. Here, Here Gideon is hiding. He's like nobody. He's afraid. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, mighty hero. Now, like, clearly he's not demonstrating the attributes of a mighty hero. But God begins to change the narrative in his own life. But before we get there, I want to highlight Angel of the Lord. Go ahead and put that slide up there because um, I found this so interesting. And again, we've talked about the fact that we see Jesus everywhere. And what you have to understand about um, the Angel of the Lord in Hebrew is malach Yahweh. That's the word for angel of the Lord. Now, it's not always where you see angel of the Lord, because sometimes it's it's an angel. Sometimes it's an archangel. Sometimes it's Gabriel. There's a lot of different angels that show up. But this one's malach Yahweh, which literally means pre-incarnate Christ. Now, we know who the incarnate Christ is. That's Jesus, when he came incarnate. But many scholars believe, because of the language, that where you see moloch Yahweh, it's actually Jesus in the Old Testament showing up. You remember when um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bargaining with with uh, who were they? Bar- Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And they're like, we're not going to bow. And he's like, no, you're going to bow. And we're like, we're not going to bow. He throws them into the fiery furnace. And then, right, they're like, they're looking in and they're going, I think we threw three guys in there. But there's a fourth. The angel of the Lord. You know who was in there? Malach Yahweh. Showing up to his people. Like I, I love Shadrach, Meshach, and it began to go, Jesus was saying, because how many know Jesus has been, been around from the beginning and the Bible says all things were created by him and for him and through him. And so he holds all things together. He didn't just show up on the scene in the New Testament. He was around. Bible says that we, the the Godhead, we made man to our own image. God, Jesus was there. And so when he saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's like, these are my dudes. I love them. Like, they're awesome. Hey, God, I think I'm gonna go hang out with them real quick and just do a couple laps in the furnace. Cool. So Gideon... He's at the lowest of low and, and he needs somebody to speak something to him and Malach Yahweh shows up. And what I love about Jesus is in John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and the sheep know my voice. I go before them and I lead them out. And he's not talking about Physically. He's talking about the transformation of the heart. I lead them out from the, the, the broken patterns that they're in into a broad place, into an incredible place. And what I love about Jesus is he's outside time and space. So he wasn't saying, now I'm the good shepherd. He's saying, I've always been the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. And so just like David was in the, was in the desert with the lion and the bear and he was he was working it out and he's saying, Lord, well, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's Malachi. Yahweh, I know his voice and he speaks to me. He speaks to you and he comes to change the narrative of your life. So Malachi, Yahweh finds Gideon hiding, stuck in a pattern, accepting a false narrative about his life. And I wrote this, uh, I would imagine that um, this is one of the things that he would say to Gideon. Who you are is not where you are. And it's not what you've been through. Who you are is not where you are. Where you find yourself right now. That's not who you are. And it's not a culmination of the things that you have been through, good and bad. And it's a double-edged sword because sometimes we use that. We're like, look at all the awesome things I've done. Man, that means I'm awesome. But unfortunately, if you use that matrix that it also means, look at all the horrible things you've done. That's, that's also you. But it's not, it's not where you are, and it's not what you've been through. A narrative, a spoken and written account. Notice it's the voice of the good shepherd that interrupts the pattern. Mighty hero. What are you doing hiding, discouraged, and defeated? Only one voice can break the pattern because only one voice has the authority. The one that has been around from the beginning, the one that holds the universe together, the one that was there when you were formed in your mother's womb, the one that has already written every day in your life. He has the authority to shape your life and your narrative, and he's the only one. It's a spoken or written account of your life. And so whose voice are you allowing to shape who you are? Is it the one that has the authority to do so? Because he's speaking some things over you that supersede all other voices. He carries authority in his voice. And he says, mighty hero. Mighty hero, That's not who I am. I'm hiding. I'm nobody. Do you see where I am and what I've been through? I do. More than you know. The challenge, and this is point number two, your mindset dictates which voice is loudest. Your mindset, your perspective on life inevitably dictates which voice is loudest in your life. It's never been easier to, to have competing voices in our lives, in our culture. It's never been easier. It's never been harder to hear his voice through the noise. But it's not just about turning off the news and turning off social media and sitting quietly. Have you ever done this? Like, the preacher said I can hear God's voice and you just sit quietly. No, I got nothing. (laughs) You ever done that? Well, first of all, I think that's a great idea. Turn off the news and social media and sit quietly. I think that's profound. But I want to say something in addition to that, and that is that your mindset, where your mind is at, largely dictates the voices that echo in your heart. What narrative, what version of your story has been declared over you, echoing in your heart, becoming your mindset? It's your perspective. This is how life goes for me. That's how you know what your mindset is. I'm not talking about Monday morning mindset. I'm talking about macro picture, big picture, deep seated stuff in your life. This is my perspective. This is my view of the world. This is the lens that I see others through and me through in circumstances. And so when you face something, this is the record that goes in your mind is this is how life goes for me. This is how life goes for me. Now I'm, I'm gonna try to break that pattern but in the end, this is how it goes for me. That record playing in your mind is dictating the voice that largely shapes your narrative. And we see it in Judges chapter 13. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. So, so God, Malak Yahweh shows up to Gideon hiding. And he goes, mighty hero, I'm with you. Okay, so first of all, an angel just showed up. That's point number one, epic. And it's not like he didn't know. He wasn't arguing like, who are you? It was like, oh yeah, totally. I mean, you know, Jesus in like a shining robe, however he looked, the friggin' epic. And he's saying something about me. He's with me and I'm like a hero. And, 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 and here's his response. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Can you hear the whining voice? The Lord is with us. Why has all this happened? Lord. It's like this low, whiny. So Malach Yahweh slapped him and said, shut up. No, I'm just kidding. So now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Listen to the certainty. If God was with us, this wouldn't have happened. So now we've been handed over to the Midianites and this is how life goes for us, period. Wow, that's so much clarity he has about his life. So much certainty. I wonder if you've made some really really solid assumptions, and got a lot of clarity about your life on the wrong thing, listening to the wrong voice. Listen, God, if you were for us, we wouldn't be here. So that's point number one. Number two, we've already been handed over to the Midianites. So that's, that's going to be our future. That's point number two. So that's just the way it is. So, I appreciate you coming here and calling something, saying something about me personally. But let me tell you about my life and how things are going and how things will be. This is a powerful reality check for all of us. And I I was studying this and I was thinking to myself and I was putting myself in, in Gideon's place and I'm like, what is he missing? What is he missing? I mean, I'm in, now I'm in the wine press. I'm there and, and, and an angel of the Lord shows up, Malach Yahweh, he's like declaring some things over me and like a healthy version of me, how would I respond? Because I know what an unhealthy version of me would respond to. We just read it, complaining, no faith. What, what a healthy version, can I tell you what a healthy version of me would say, I would do? I would be in awe and wonder. Like, what? Of all the people that you could have come to, you showed up to me. It's not like he showed up to an army or to a people and declared some things. He found this one guy hiding, came to him, spoke to him specifically and personally, and I would have fell on my knees and would have been like, oh my gosh, really? Is that really you? I mean, I've read about angels showing up in the Bible, but I've never seen it and experienced it. Aren't you with me? Wouldn't there be like some wow factor? There would be for me. It's interesting. See, our mindset is a direct result of of our awe and wonder. Remember when the disciples were in the boat and they thought they were going to die? big storm came up. Oh my gosh, we're going to die. Buckets of water over the edge. You know who else was in the boat? You know what he was doing? Sleeping. He was tired. He's busy. He's got a lot on his mind. So they come to him. Jesus! Notice the clarity they had. We're going to die. You don't care about us. It's interesting. Sounds a lot like Gideon. And Jesus was like, seriously, guys? The storm stole your wonder. It took all your attention. Look at the storm, it's huge, and we're so small. Another way to say it is the storm was awesome. It took all their awe. And Jesus was like, really? You guys should have been in awe wonder that I was sleeping through the thing that you thought you were going to die from. Because I said we were going to go to the other side. So you should have said, well, I'm definitely not going to go to the other side. I can't believe Jesus is sleeping. You're amazing. You're awesome. The only one that's worthy of my awe. I'm going to take a nap next to you. And he got up and he spoke a new word over their lives. Peace be still. Whew. Quit buying into the narrative of the world. Jesus has the power. Malak Yahweh has the power to stand on your boat and speak to the wind and waves a new word that supersedes all others. His power in his words. And so the question today is, what's stolen your awe and your wonder? because this resets everything. When we stop focusing on the problem, it's so big and it's so and it's just, it's just gotten all my awe, and we don't say it's awesome, but that's what we are saying, is that this thing is so awe-inspiring, so it's stolen my wonder because it's so big and so daunting and so ugly, and instead I need to shift that awe over to the only one worthy of our awe and our wonder, and when we do that, our mindset changes completely. It's a new perspective. It's a new day. And when we do that, we're in line to hear the voice of the one that can change the narrative. Forgive me, Lord, for giving my awe to other things. I love how this conversation ends, and this is how we'll conclude. Judges chapter 16, verse 14 says, then the, after he got done whining, then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel. I love this because he didn't say, go with the strength that I'm going to give you. I see you, you're the weakest If you follow the whole conversation, you're the weakest in the tribe and you're a nobody and you're defeated and you're hiding and I see all that and so I have come to make you powerful. No. He says, you are a mighty hero. You just don't see it yet. And you have mighty power. You just don't realize it yet. You ever wonder if if you were to hear God speak to you personally? which we believe we can, but you ever wonder if you were to hear him so clearly that it was undeniable what he would say to you? I have an idea. I think he would say this. You're a mighty hero and you have resurrection power inside of you. And these things are not dictated by your circumstances or by your behavior or your surroundings or how big the giants and the waves are. This doesn't change. This is who you are. I uh, want to conclude with a video, and it's going to s- seem a little bit strange uh, because of the nature of what the video is, but I want you to hang on with me because this is such a powerful illustration, I believe, of the Father. And his role to come alongside of us in our journey, to become a hero. And it's a story about somebody um, that maybe you've never heard of, but his name is Derek Redman, and uh, I believe it was the 1962 Olympics. He was slated to win the 400meter. It was the final race, and he was a shoe-in to win, training all his life, and, uh, and he was head and shoulders above the rest. And he shows up on this day, the special day in the 62 Olympics, and uh, something remarkable takes place. What a powerful story and picture of us running the life of faith. And inevitably, there's times when we stumble and we fall, and we have regret and things that we navigate and we work through, and they become the narrative. And you know, it's interesting that we don't know the name of the person that won the 62 Olympics in the 400, but now we know the guy who didn't. We know the guy who stumbled and fell. And had his father pick him up and don't you love that? They were walking along and people are coming, trying to steal the moment, trying to tell the father, you can't be out here and I'll let him alone and let him do his thing. And the father's like, no, not today. You're not speaking to my son. You don't get the final word in his life. I do. I get to tell him who he is and how he walks this out. So get away. And I just want you to know today that you have the father And if you allow him to, he will bring you close. Not because you ran the best race. Not because you were the best. But because you just let him be your father. And he pulls you close. And he silences those other voices. And he speaks to you about who you are. You're a mighty hero. You have resurrection power. I know who you are. Come on, let's do this together. I'm with you. I'm with you every step of the way. And can I tell you, Jesus hijacked the narrative narrative of your life on the cross. And because of that, he has the authority to say, now you are my son and daughter and this is what your future looks like. Because I have broken the pattern of sin and shame and regret and hurt and depression and oppression and debt. I have broken the pattern of those things on the cross and now I've set you free. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes today? I wanna give an opportunity. Just on this special day is... We've seen what Jesus can do and what he wants to do. If there's anybody in this room that would say today, I, uh, I recognize that um, I need to, I need to invite this Malach Yahweh, this savior into my life and allow him to transform me. I recognize today that I've kind of been doing it on my own. My perspective has been off and, struggling, but I'd like to believe today that uh, he knows my name and that he, if I let him come into my heart, that he could transform me and give me a brand new narrative. If that's you and just in the privacy of this moment, no one looking around, you'd just like to say, yes, yeah, Shane, I'd like to say yes to that. Uh, we just lift up your hand and say, uh, will you pray for me. I'd like to give my heart to Jesus, let him in. Let him transform my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Let me put your head down. God, I thank you for these incredible folks that are saying yes to you. So now we respond, Jesus, by saying, come into my heart. I make you Lord and Savior. God, change me from the inside out. Lord, I thank you that as your church we are responding to you, Holy Spirit. We're responding to the new narrative as you speak to us. May our awe and wonder be on you. Tomorrow morning when we wake up, may our awe and our wonder be that you're here, that you wanna speak to me, that you love me and that you're in control. And we gave you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you today. God bless you. Thank you so much for being a part of uh, this first of many uh, epic journey for Heart Church. Again, thank you to uh, so many of the volunteers. Uh, We would love for you to join our church if you haven't yet and uh, participate in that uh, new visitor lunch in a couple of weeks. But um, in general feel, please don't feel like you have to rush out. Um, there's teardown that needs to be done, but we're going to wait for a little bit because we're a church first and we want to fellowship. And so please, if you need prayer or if you would like to just kind of stay and hang, uh, this is, this is the right place for that. God bless you.